This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to Double Tap for the weekend, Saturday the 14th of January 2023. I'm with you today, along with someone you don't often hear at the weekends, Sean Priest, and a show with a difference. You're listening to Double Time, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Yes, Sean Priest here on the weekend today. Hello, Sean Priest. All right. <laughs> what am I doing here on a Saturday? I do Monday to Friday, Stephen Scott. It's a well-known, established oh, fact. So what to I'm, rule, aren't you? You're an absolute disgrace. Saturday, I'm calling the union. I'm yeah, not good happy. Luck. Good luck with that. <laughs> And you can go on strike if you like, but we'll just get Michael Babcock on. Oh, no, he is good. He is oh, good. no, stop see, it. Yeah, a Sorry, no, yeah, you go, you see, you see. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, today's show, it's a little bit different today because, um, look, I put out a tweet um, was it this oh, week, no, and, and usually you? this causes nothing but hassle. And yes. it's interesting because this tweet has gone, I wouldn't say viral. I don't think by today's standards it's gone viral at all, but it has had a lot of reaction. And the tweet reads like this. My new campaign this year is to encourage blind folk with guide dogs to stop talking down the white cane. Yes, the dog is good for you, but some of us don't want or can't have dogs. The white cane is not a substitute. It's my choice and I prefer it. So that's what I put out one night. And it was just because I'd read a few comments from people who were in the midst of going from one guide dog to another. And obviously they're frustrated because they've had to wait. And some people are waiting, you know, possibly up to a year. I remember a friend of mine went a a year and a half with no guide dog and had to use the white cane instead. And it's the have to use the white cane bit that I get a little bit irritated by because, and and I'm, I'm saying this not to cause or sow any kind of division here. It's not one or the other. It's not guide dogs versus canes. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's about, trying to realise that actually, as far as I'm concerned anyway, and you're free to agree or disagree on this, I think they are equal in the sense that they are mobility aids. And it's a choice. Now, some people might prefer the dog and total understandable. I know many people who prefer the cane. But I think the difference here is that people don't often talk up the white cane in the same way because it's not cute and cuddly and has big brown eyes and, you know, licks your face. At least I hope your cane doesn't do that. <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't want to get my cane to anyone near my face, I'll tell you that. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, I think, I want to kind of just put it out there. I was putting it out to the universe to say to people, look, and far, as far mm. as I'm concerned, that and I wanted to talk about it in the show to kind of clarify that point, because... I feel it's a subject close to my heart. I mean, I have I had a guide dog years ago. It didn't work out for me, although that was an age thing, I have no doubt. I was 19, I knew nothing. Who knows anything at 19? So, right, you know, okay, I went through the experience. It was not the best experience for me, but I think the age had a big part to play in it. Had that been today, it may well have been different. But of course, my circumstances have changed. I'm not that out that much. I mean, the pandemic put pay to me going out ever again, at least to a workplace. And, you know, I stopped when I, when I left RNIB. I wasn't going to a workplace all the time, obviously. So that was that. And um, I don't really have a need for a guide dog. I don't see the value of it in my life. I can oh, see oh, the oh, value, oh. but not in please my life. Please don't talk down guide dogs, Stephen No, I'm Scott. not talking down don't, guide dogs. Well, I am please. not. I'm saying it's a choice. That's the key. 
Yeah, and but, I did I'm, follow up. I said I'm not against. I said it on a separate tweet. I'm not against guide dogs in any way, but I am yes. so sick of people suggesting to me, and this is not to blind people, this is to sighted people, that not having a dog means I'm not really blind. Almost like the dog is a certificate of blindness. That's what I wrote in the second tweet. But it is part of the uniform, I suppose. That is a good point. Uh, recently, we were talking to Red about AI. Um, Narration in mm. audiobooks, right? And before I was having a chat, he mentioned that, you know, he likes to wear, or he does wear now, his sunglasses all the time because he finds it helps with the, hey, I really am blind, you know, getting it across to people. It's part of the uniform. It's part of what people expect. Now, if he's just using his white stick, uh, yes, I call it white stick. I know some people don't like that. If you're using you know, your cane, then... Um, it's not always, people don't always treat you the same and they don't, sometimes they don't understand. Now, I can't really understand why people are like that, but it's true. Sometimes you do need to almost play a role and maybe the guide dog is seen as part of that uniform. I, I, I get what you're saying there, actually. I just, I think it's it's a difficult one because I think people often, it, you know, what they mean, I think, by it, truthfully, is they think, well, the dog is cute and cuddly. And, you know, it's a nice thing to have. You know, it's like a nice thing to have. It's a lovely Dangerous companion. Stephen. I'm worried now. But that's why I think think sighted people think that. I think that's what they feel, right? Yes. I think blind Mm. people who have a guide dog, and I know my wife has one, and I I can tell the difference it's made to her life. It has been massively beneficial to her. I know in a lot of ways it would be beneficial to me, but I've chosen not to go there. Just not for me. And I don't see the cane as a substitute. I think the cane is good. I know a lot of people don't like it. And I hated it at the beginning. I'm with you on that. Uh, I get it, you know. But at the end of the day, I did. I hated it at the beginning. I hated the concept. It took me a long time to actually pick one up because it was, you know, it's all that acceptance thing, right? And whatever that is, the weirdness of that. For us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. But I think... Is there anything to hate? I mean, it's just, it's a way to feel your way. I mean, it, it's... A lot of people don't like it because they feel that they are finding obstacles rather than navigating around them. The dog navigates you around. Whereas I actually feel the opposite. I think the cane gives me a better sense of where I am and my, play, you know, uh, where things are rather than, you know, essentially being taken past them all the time. Okay, then hang on though, because what we're saying here, the argument is that I'm not saying one is better than the other, but isn't that essentially what you're saying then? If if one no. method is, you know, it takes you around, it avoids obstacles when using a guide dog, whereas with a cane, we're feeling for those obstacles. No, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that people who have a guide dog who then go on to media and talk about, I had a guide dog and I don't have a guide dog because I'm waiting for my new guide dog because I love guide dogs and totally get all that. But in the meantime, it, you know, I have to use this thing called a white cane and it takes me forever and it's terrible. That I'm against because that to me talks down the white cane. And for many people, that is their only mode of getting out. And actually for a lot of people, it's fine. So that's okay. my challenge. No, yeah, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying now. I get it. Okay. But it, interestingly, in amongst all this, and I got lots of reaction about to that tweet, and I thought I'd get a lot of pushback on it. I didn't. But what I did get was a fantastic tweet from someone called Don Pickering. And Don said, perhaps if they'd all been brought up through the CNIB Guide Dogs Buddy program, um, then uh, the way my son is, uh, she says, maybe they'd appreciate the value of both. The kids program uses both together. Now, when I read that, and she actually put a poster, a picture picture of her son, a poster, a picture of her son uh, with a guide dog and a white cane. And it got me thinking, I want to learn more about this. 
So I've invited Don onto the show today, and I thought it'd be really interesting just to chat through uh, how all this works. Don, thank you so much for coming on to Double Tap. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It is great to have you here. And listen, you responded to my tweet, my uh, tweet, or as I like to call them, mini rants, because um, <laughs> that's kind of what they are. And, uh, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I, and I explained, hopefully explained in more detail as about what, you know, what I meant by that tweet. But you responded to it. And I have to say, it gave me hope. Um, and it's a shame your name's not Joanna. Otherwise, I could say, you gave me hope, Joanna, and I could refer to a Bob Marley song, but I can't do that, unfortunately. Um, you'll have to change your name, Don, just for the show. Um, I'll work on it right after okay, this. I'm excellent. sure there's paperwork. Can, I'm, a, I'm a public servant, so I'm sure I can find paperwork Oh, there's definitely that. paperwork on that. Uh, if you like paperwork, we can find it for you. Um, there you go. But, you know, I wanted to get you on because, like I say, you gave me hope by this. You were talking about your son and how he is learning to use the cane and the guide dog, or at least learn about them. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about what you meant by that and how that is actually coming to be with your son. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, so we're in Canada. Um, so I'll say that right up front because, um, of course, every context is a bit different. But you in the UK, for example, you guys have a similar context uh, to the one I'm going to talk about. Um, so our son, Ollie, is currently 10 years old. And he went blind uh, three years ago next week, in fact, actually, um, during a battle with cancer. Uh, and he's doing fantastic today after, um, you know, uh, many, many treatments and a stem cell transplant with his sister's cells. So we're very grateful. Um, but we had to obviously learn to adapt to, um, you know, blindness after uh, everything else. And, um, you know, we're so grateful uh, that there are resources here in Canada, like the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Um, and also uh, here in Canada, we have another organization called the Vision Loss Rehabilitation Canada. And we have sort of provincial um, bodies uh, that are sort of offshoots of that as well. So they, you know, when, when Ollie first went blind, um, we reached out to these organizations um, through some folks at the hospital where Ollie was being treated and started to connect with services. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we started, um, essentially to have Ollie learn to work with the uh, mobility cane, of course. Right. So once he was, uh, strong enough, um, the consultants kind of came over, uh, their orientation mobility consultants essentially came over uh, to our house and started to teach him, uh, how to work with his first white cane. Um, and so that was really, you know, it's, it's interesting. Ollie's first reaction to that was, um, you know, he was kind of, he was the novelty of it, I think was interesting to him, but the work that it was going to require to, uh, kind of learn how to use it and so on. Um, once he learned that he wasn't super happy about it, um, you know, typical 10, well, actually he was eight at the time. So the typical eight year old, you know, anything that he had to do that was hard uh, and took him away from playtime was not ideal. Um, but I'm the same. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Right. So, uh, I mean, the, the best part about it, I think was, and, and I, you know, I, I love this. I actually am still in touch with his first orientation mobility consultant and I've sent her, you know, videos and whatever, um, to kind of tell her, look, you know, all the difficulties you had in sort of teaching Ollie and getting him sort of to, uh, accept, you know, this cane in his life and, and understand how much mobility and independence it could give him, you know, it's, it's really finally worked. Right. Um, and so, He's he's learned some really solid, um, you know, some, some solid, uh, uh, you know, tips and tricks with respect to using his cane. And he has a vision itinerant program in his school, of course. So he has a whole team. Um, and on his team, he also has an orientation and mobility consultant that comes to the school once a week to work with him in the neighborhood um, on cane skills and what have you. So that's, you know, the sort of the cane side of things. Right. So that really was our entrance to all of it. 
Um, and then fast forward, because we were sort of working with, um, you know, vision loss rehabilitation here kind of is an offshoot of the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. It used to be part of it, and then they've since kind of hived off that service. Um, so we started, you know, working more with the CNIB um, to see what other programs and services, you know, Ollie might be able to take advantage of. Um, and interestingly enough, as we were working with our vision loss rehabilitation um, consultant on, um, uh, you know, daily living skills for Ollie, right, to start to understand how he could, um, you know, start to do things um, in, in sort of at home, right, um, a blind, because uh, remember, he had to kind of relearn how to do everything. Right. You have an eight year old kid who, you know, starting to have a pretty solid basis on how to live and do things for himself. Mm. And now now he's got to redo all of that and learn it in the context of being blind. So the the consultant that we had there actually was a person who had experienced vision loss in her life as well. <clears throat> and so um, she was great because she really introduced us to a lot of you know, services um, that she knew about. One of the things she had, of course, was a guide dog. So she, Ollie was always interested. We would be online with her in those early days of COVID. And he was always fascinated by her dog, right? Her dog's name was Perry, um, and or is Perry. Perry's still around. And uh, so she would talk to Ollie about Perry and the things that Perry would sort of bring to her life. And and um, and he was always fascinated by this. And then, um, actually, I think when we first met her, she had two dogs. One was Perry, and then she had her retired dog, uh, who I think has since passed. So he was really fascinated by this idea that you could have a guide dog, right, first of all, and all the things that it could do for you. And then the fact that that, that guide dog would one day retire and you would just get another one. Right. So mm. um, and she was the one who introduced us to this idea. She said, listen, the CNIB has this amazing program. They've kind of just started in the last year and it is called the CNIB Buddy Dog Program. And the idea is that kids with vision loss right, get to have a dog that's been trained as a guide dog. Um, but that has some little nuance, right, to the dog that didn't, you know, didn't allow the dog to make it as a guide dog, if you will, right? Because, of course, there's very exacting standards to have a guide dog. Um, so you've had a dog that has literally been trained for two solid years to be a guide dog and has all of the instincts of being a, a guide dog, but isn't a guide dog. And so instead of, um, you know, sort of basically sending them off to, you know, live with families after all that work and all that investment, um, I, I think they, they took a, a, um, a page out of, you know, the UK's book and sort of saw that, you know, your national organization uh, for the blind there had a program called the Buddy Dog Program and decided to implement same here. Um, so essentially, a lot of those dogs now that are trained and don't get into the mm -hmm. guide dog program get into mm -hmm. the Buddy Dog mm -hmm. program instead. Um, and so uh, the intent of the program for these kids is to certainly, number one, make them comfortable right? With dogs, because especially I think a lot of families, um, you know, who have uh, children who have lived with sight loss from the very outset, for example, uh, you have a lot to deal with to begin with, right? So if you don't already have a, a family pet at home, you're probably not likely to just go out and get one, right? You have enough. Yeah, there's to, enough going on at home, right? Right, right. So, you know, uh, and we didn't have a dog. We had, you know, we had a cat, but we didn't have a dog. We had talked about getting one. And of course, as the mom, I was like, ah, you know, a dog is so much work and I've got to walk it and all this stuff. And, you know, so I was sort of said to my husband, you know, if you want to get a dog one day, that's fine, but it's your responsibility. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of funny that in the end, when when Ollie went blind and he heard about this program, uh, you know, the timing was interesting because we were just waiting um, for him to get his stem cell transplant. And so uh, we were you know, sort of killing time. He had had brain and spine radiation and we were waiting to see if he was in remission. And we heard about this program and we thought, OK, I, and I kind of as a parent went, you know, if if this program is going to help him right? It's going to help him enormously. 
Um, I think, you know, despite my reservations about having one more thing to sort of manage, uh, it, it, he one day probably should have, you know, a guide dog. And if this is going to help him to prepare to have a guide dog um, and to make the transition easier, then that's what we need to do. And so uh, plus, actually, you know, it was very motivating for him because he was like, hey, if I get well, I get a dog. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, so, yeah. you know, so I was like, OK, I, you know, I guess it's a win, win, win all right, all the way around. So we talked to the coordinator of the program there, Miriam Mass, who is just the, the most amazing individual. She's so kind and she has uh, such talent working with dogs and kids. Um, and so we talked to her and I explained the whole situation about Ollie. He was, you know, at that time in a wheelchair, um, you know, obviously newly blind and all these things. And, and, you know, she did the intake with us and, uh, we had an interview. It was all done online in those days. And then she basically said, um, that we were approved for the program. So we were really excited, but she said, you know, you're probably gonna have to wait at least a year for a dog. And I said, okay, well, that's cool because he has to get a transplant and he can't have a dog for at least six months after transplant. And that assumes that it goes well and he is well. Uh, so, you know, he had his transplant in July of 2020. And um, to our great surprise and delight, it went so well. And, um, you know, by the time he hit his magical six months, um, he was uh, well enough to, con to be considered. And so um, Miriam called me about that time and she said, hey, listen, how, how are things with Ollie and, you know, how, how, where are we at? And I said, listen, he's been cleared. So he's, he's well enough, right? And she said, oh, well, that's great news, but, you know, it's still probably going to be at least six months before you can get a dog at minimum. And I said, well, that's OK. That gives us more time to you know, sort of adapt and get stronger with the white cane skills and, you know, what have you. And she said, OK, well, that's that's great. And then she literally called me back three weeks later and she said, OK, latest lockdown for COVID. I can't travel anywhere and I have two dogs ready. Would you be willing to take one? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we, we're, we were like literally the, the training center for the CNIB guide dogs is actually just here in sort of the Ottawa region. So it's like a, you know, about a 20, 25 minute drive from where we are. Um, and so it was within the sort of realm of her, you know, being able to deliver a dog right in that context. Um, and so, you know, we were like, well, yeah, of course, we're not going to refuse. Right. We feel bad for the kid who was slated to get these dogs before us because we were on the waiting list. I think we were number six at the time. Um, but she said, listen, we can't you know, we can't have these dogs sort of sitting around not being, you know, mm -hmm. sort of deployed. We need to get them out in hands and get helping people. Uh, and I've got other dogs that are coming and I've got to, you know, I got to have a place for them. So um, so we we said, sure, great. And so we ended up getting this, this, you know, beauty. She's a, a black lab. She was two years old just days before we got her. Um, and her name is Hope, which I thought was just so fantastic, um, mm. you know, that, that that's the way it turned out. I really felt when she told us she had two dogs at the time and she told us they were Hope and Ray and their brother and sister, I felt in my heart of hearts that it was going to be Hope, right? Because after everything we'd been through, right? Yeah. And we hope was something we just clung to, right? To get him well. And so I just thought that's rather fitting uh, if she comes to us. And in fact, that's what happened, right? Miriam uh, sort of walked the dog in our neighbor, dogs in our neighborhood and kind of tried to fit, figure out what the best fit would be based on what we told her about all these needs and what have you. And she came back and said, yeah, I think hope is it. And so, uh, so it was great, you know, so all we, we the whole family got trained um, in how to work with the guide dog. And that was really helpful um, for us sort of all to understand the context. Right. Um, and, and then, and it really is a sort of a family affair. Cause although she is Ollie's dog, like Ollie's at school right now and in, in uh, the Canadian context, yeah, obviously kids don't take their guide dogs to school unless they're like, you know, teenagers in high school, for example. Um, so hope is here with me during the day. 
And when Ollie gets home, then she's kind of on with him, if you will. So she's just family dog during the day, hanging out. She's in fact currently beside me, like I'm, I'm sitting in a corner of our bedroom for my office, and she's like, you know, totally, um, you know, lounging on the bed, uh, having a little snooze. So on the uh, bed, so she, oh on the no! Bed. I know. See, this is what happens, right? They tell you she's trained not to get on the bed, so she won't go up unless invited. But then, like, it's really not the dogs we need to train; it's the people, right? Exactly. Yeah. The, so dog, are, the dogs are trained. Yeah. Indeed, they are. Right. Like she. She will not get up on anything without being invited. But of course, you know, those those beautiful little, you know, sad little brown mm-hmm. eyes look up at you and you're just your heart melts. So we're, we're pretty good and disciplined about other things, of course. But that's one of the things we've allowed. Um, and, we won't tell anyone. It's OK. Yeah. It's well, and, you know, it's actually, I blame it. I blame it on Ollie. Right. Because of truly, course. when when he first got the dog and we had her, it was funny that first weekend, if I go back in time, you know, Miriam showed up with the dog on Friday. We had taken the Friday off of all of our various activities so that we could do this training. And she showed up with the dog on Friday and she left the dog with us that night, right? Like we had like a few hours training and then all of a sudden we are a guide dog owner. And she came back, of course, for the Saturday and Sunday, both days uh, to do more training with us. But, you know, from that first night, like Ollie was just like, well, she's my dog and she's got to sleep with me and she's got to be with me. And the interesting thing is when she came to us, all of these extra peripheral benefits kind of came with her that we didn't anticipate. So Ollie had had a lot of anxiety and, you know, almost paranoia. He was on a drug that kind of made him borderline paranoid about certain things as well. Um, and having her come, like he hadn't actually, I think, slept an entire night straight through without waking and being stressed about something or, you know, uh, the dark and, you know, being alone. Um, and actually often my, my husband or I, you know, wake up in the middle of the night and then go sleep with him in his bed for a bit to try and get some sleep for everybody. Uh, and Hope came along and he asked if she could sleep in his bed. And we were kind of reluctant. We were like, okay, fine, we'll put a blanket down and she can maybe sleep on your bed. And I don't know if she'll stay. We'll see. We had put her bed beside his on the floor. And, you know, to our great surprise, she like totally snuggled up to him in the bed that night and he went to sleep and he slept all night long and he didn't wake up once. And we thought, wow, <laughs> this this girl is you yeah. know already worth her weight in gold, so to speak. So, you know, but she really does sort of bring that sense of calm right to his life. It's not just about the you know orientation and, and mobility skills. That's a huge part of it, of course. And I can talk about that. But she has all these other peripheral, you know, sort of psychosocial benefits, if you will, that kind of come along with her. Um, and, and not just for, for Ollie, but for the whole family, right? We've had this great opportunity to sort of engage in so many other activities with the CNIB and what have you because of hope as well. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's incredible that you've had to go through all this, yet you do seem to be very, I mean, I imagine you had dark days, but, you know, you do seem to be quite positive about what has happened. And, you know, obviously this buddy program is, has been a big, big part of that, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I I mean, yeah, you're right. We have dark days, of course, right? Everybody does when you go through hard things and trauma is is a very difficult thing, you know, to sort of recover from. Um, but you know, actually in a crazy fashion, she's kind of helped us, right? Hope has with with our recovery. Certainly Ollie, you know, in many respects, but also me. I I actually, you know, when, when Ollie finally went back to school in person because he was well enough. He still went masked because of, you know, COVID and he had to have all of his vaccinations again and all that. So after stem cell transplants, it was, you know, quite the endeavor to decide to let him go. Um, But when he went back to school, I mean, here I am, I wasn't working at the time. I was on leave from my own anxiety with PTSD. 
And um, so Hope and I would literally go out. We have a, a farm here um, near where we live. There's a, it's funny, it's like right in the middle of the city and it's called the Central Experimental Farm. It's actually part of Agriculture Canada. So it's owned by the Canadian government um, and they do, you know, all kinds of testing on crops and different things out there. So it's a public space and you can just go and wander freely. And so um, Hope and I would go out there for just really long walks and I found it incredibly therapeutic. Uh, it was great for her. She was thrilled, right, to be able to have that time every day. Um, and for me, it was just a time of trying to you know, kind of get my head on straight in addition to therapy and the various other things, of course, we've done as a family to recover. But, you know, overall, I, I think, you know, if I go back in time, the thing that is is um, probably was the kind of defining moment in terms of how we decided to handle everything. Um, when Ollie relapsed in his brain, you know, in January of 2020, um, very suddenly, and he was in the, the pediatric ICU um, with, you know, he had uh, brain lesions and what have you, and uh, he had dangerously low sodium and was having seizures and all kinds of complications. And he had gone blind, right? Just brand new, you know, the day before. And so we were, you know, uh, like reeling from everything that was happening. And we sat in a meeting, my husband and I, we hadn't even really seen each other, right? Because you're in two different directions. You've got one kid at home and one kid at the hospital, and you're just, you know, doing your best to try and, and help them both. And um, we we sat at a meeting with all, I called it the ologist meeting, right? And so um, you have the neurologist and the ophthalmologist and the oncologist and, you know, probably other ologists I can't even think of right now. <laughs> uh, and they're all sitting around the table and they're talking to us about what, you know, what all these situation is and, and they're talking about the blindness and, and, you know, one of them said, look, we, we can't tell you if it's temporary or permanent, his blindness, because we really don't at this moment in time have a clear handle on why it happened. Right. We assume it's because of the lymphoma, but we don't know what it is. Right. Is it just, you know, a lesion in there that's sort of happening? And he had scans and stuff. And I mean, you can only see, you know, certain things from scans. They couldn't see at that time that his optic nerves were severely damaged from lymphoma, um, essentially attaching itself to, you know, in, in cells in his uh, cerebral spinal fluid in his uh, in his brain. Um, and so. You know, my husband and I looked at each other and we really hadn't even had the conversation and we just kind of looked at each other. And, and then I said, you know, don't worry about the blindness, right? That's going to sound completely strange. But, you know, here's the thing, right? If it's permanent or temporary, like we'll deal with it. And no matter what, if it is permanent, we'll give him the best, most beautiful life that he can have. There are resources and we will find them, right? And we will learn to do things differently. But, you know, you need to save him right? That's what it comes down to. You need to be able to kick that lymphoma out. So focus on, you know, on, on getting rid of the cancer. That's what we need to do. We all need to be focused on the one goal. And if, you know, peripherally you can do, you know, sort of anything else to help with that blindness situation, get him some vision, that'd be great. But, you know, that's really not our biggest concern. Uh, and so they told us at that time, it was like, you know, sort of a six week window more or less. And they said, you know, if by the six week mark, we haven't seen improvement in his vision, the likelihood that he'll ever recover any is very slim. And so that time kind of came and went and, and we really didn't, you know, it, it's funny, everybody around us was, you know, sort of so devastated by this idea of him being blind. Right. And, yeah. and I was just so focused on let's get him resources and let's get him comfortable, right. With living in the dark right? Like he is, he is trapped in this situation and he's so afraid as people are coming at him, poking him with needles and, you know, and sending him through these procedures. Um, you know, it's a very scary thing when you can see, so never mind when you can't. And so 
I just said, like, we just need resources. So at the hospital, I just said to them, send me whoever in this big hospital is responsible for vision loss, right? Rehabilitation and that kind of stuff. There's got to be somebody here. Send me that person because I need to talk to them and I need to get some resources. And they did. They sent me somebody from the Children's Treatment Center and she came over and that's she connected me with CNIB and vision loss rehab and whatever. And that's kind of how things started. And so that was kind of our attitude from the start was really that's the blindness is not the worst thing that could happen to him. Right. He no, can have a beautiful no. life. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think that extends to sort of his attitude, right? Is that sure we've had our moments, but for the most part, like, you know, he, he was just so focused on getting well and throughout his, his stem cell journey and everything else, it was kind of funny. Cause you know, he kept asking me, mom, can I, when can, you know, when can I get back on my skateboard? Will I be able to skateboard again? And, and I, you know, as a mom to a, to a kid who's newly blind, I'm like, I have no idea, right? Like, will you have the balance? Will you be able to do this and whatever? And I said, you know what, Ollie, I really don't know what you'll be able to do and not do. But my general attitude is this. If you want to try something, there's got to be a way that we can do it, right? We'll probably have to modify what we do, do it a little differently. But I don't see why you can't do all the things that you used to do and that you want to do today. Right. So that's, I think, really helped. And the CNIB, you know, they have a here in in, um, Canada, we have this amazing camp that they run called the CNIB Lake Joe, uh, which is in Muskoka. So it's kind of about this. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I have to tell you, I I wish they had a model like this, you know, around the world. It really is life changing. And they, um, you know, they they have uh, this attitude where you just sort of go and you just try everything. Right. So you can go as a family. Our first experience was as a family. And it taught us a lot about how we look at blindness and how able Abby or Ollie is rather, you know, like it's not about disability. It's about ability. Right. And it it is, you know, at the end of the day, um, we just went and they were like, here, okay, here, we're going to send you out in a kayak. And, you know, the first that very funny that first day and Ollie had met a little friend there. We hadn't met this person before. It was the kid was a little bit older than he was. And the kid had been to this camp before. And I said to Ollie, hey, how about you and I will go on a double kayak and we'll try this out, right? And he'd never kayaked before, even sighted, so this was new for him. And he said, okay, sure, mom, let's go. And then he heard his little buddy Mason out there in the water. And he said, is that Mason? I said, yes. And he said, well, what's he doing? I said, well, he's kayaking. And he said, is he kayaking with his mom? I said, no, he's in a single kayak on his own. And he said, well, I want a single kayak. <laughs> Fine, mom. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I was like, well, great. He just ditched me. But I mean, like, but great, he ditched me, right? Because he wants to do this and he can do it on his own and he feels confident. And so that's the great thing about that camp is the kids really inspire each other to sort of do things and try new things. Um, and also they just feel comfortable doing it because there's that support around, right? All the counselors have experience with vision loss. Some of them themselves, you know, have, have vision loss, or sometimes it's a parent or somebody in the family, um, you know, a sibling. Um, and so they, they all just sort of really have this wonderful way of making, um, the kids feel so comfortable just trying anything. Right. Um, and so that, that was great. And so we actually, last summer it was amazing because we also got to take hope. They did the first ever CNIB buddy dog, um, camp at, uh, Lake Joe. So we, all the, the, um, buddy dog duos, as we call them here in Ontario, uh, there were 13 of them got to get together, um, in, uh, at this camp and, you know, sort of learn, um, more skills working with their dogs. They also got to sort of try out, um, working with a guide dog in training, right? So using an actual harnessing system. So the buddy dogs use a little bit of a different system. So I, maybe this is good for this talk to sort of go back to that for a second. Um, the, in, with the buddy dogs, they don't use your typical guide dog harness, 
right? Which is actually good for us because Hope's little nuance is that she doesn't like the harness. <laughs> so well, that works out then. Yeah. yeah, that kind of cool, you know, mm-hmm. counter route. They said, look, she will, she'll tolerate it, right? But she's super not happy about it. We can see that. And we don't want our guide dogs to be unhappy, right? In service. This is, they're supposed to want to sort of do this and help. And so in her case, she doesn't mind the vest, right? That they kind of put on her. It's like a training vest, right? So the buddy dog program uses that old training vest that just says buddy dog on the side. And so she doesn't mind the vest. And then she wears a halty on her face, of course. Um, and then uh, you connect a leash to the halty. And for the kids who are just starting out, they do a double leashing system where um, the the child uh, uses one leash connected to the halty. And you as the parent have a secondary leash, which is a little, a little bit longer, and you mm. connect it to the collar and you walk behind them. So for the, the sake of safety and, um, you know, certainly for uh, confidence as the buddy dog duo kind of gets more well-versed with each other and comfortable with each other, um, you know, you're able to be there. Now, Ollie doesn't use my double leash at all, right? He's like, yeah, I don't need that, mom. I've yeah, got I'm off. Um, yeah. But you also use the white cane, right? The mobility cane. Mm. So this is what's different than, than working with a guide dog. Uh, on the, the Ollie is right-handed, so he uses his white mobility cane in his right hand, and he ha- holds hope in his left hand with a short leash. And so, you know, it's it's actually kind of the best of both worlds because he literally is, you know, sort of learning to work with a guide dog, a trained guide dog. And she has these amazing instincts. We'll be walking out on garbage day and here in Canada, you know, I mean, we have these gigantic garbage trucks that come by and you have, you know, a million types of recycling you have to put out. And so there's like, you know, cans galore, right, on, on, uh, on garbage day. So if we're walking out on the sidewalk on garbage day, for example, um, and there's often garbage cans strewn along the sidewalk. Right. I've always found it fascinating to sort of see how Ollie and Hope can navigate that because I'm prone as a parent to kind of go, oh, watch out. Here's what's in your path. But what I found sort of working with Ollie and and with the orientation mobility consultant, and she was great because she was like, yeah, you can bring Hope and we'll work with her, too. Right. Um, And so when we started doing this, Hope would actually like instinctively navigate and kind of, you know, by putting a little bit of pressure on um, you know, Ollie's left side on, on his leg, she would basically nudge him around the, um, around the cans, right? Hey, wait a second. Or if something was in his path and she couldn't get around it, she would just kind of put her whole body in front of him, right. To kind of say, wait a second, right. You can't go there. And so, and then on his right, as he's walking, right, he's also got that ability to sort of sweep with the the white mobility cane. He uses uh, constant contact. So he uses a, a white marshmallow, you know, with a roller tip. Mm. Um, and so that's his preference in terms of how he works with it. So he's able to constantly sort of feel what's going on in his right. And he has hope protecting his left. So, um, and in the beginning, it was hard. I remember sort of watching him and he'd get a little frustrated because their kind of cadence was off, if you will, right? Hope would be a little faster than he was or vice versa. And she'd have to kind of slow down. And, but now like, you know, a year and a half, almost two years, I guess, later, uh, of them working together, they, they just have this very, you know, symbiotic kind of rhythm. Right. And when you, when they go out, it's really fantastic to watch now, right. Just to sort of see how in tune they are to each other. And when she does nudge him or do things, how much, um, easier it is for him to sort of understand what she's trying to tell him now. Yes, it's just really interesting to hear how that relationship works. Look, I, I want to get into more on this, Don, so stick with us. We are going to take a short break. We'll be right back, and uh, we'll just talk uh, more about all this. It's a fantastic topic. This is Double Tap of the Weekend. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at DoubleTapOnAir.com. We'll be right back. 
This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. A bit of a different one for you today. Uh, as it's the weekend, we thought we'd uh, chill out a little bit and uh, focus on a slightly different story uh, today. And this is, of course, the subject of guide dogs and canes. Not versus guide dogs and canes. And it's interesting. We're talking today with Don Pickering uh, and uh, getting... Uh, the information that the CNIB's uh, Guide Dog Buddy Dog program is uh, something which is really clearly making a difference to uh, your son, Ollie. Um, Sean, this is something you could really benefit from, I think, having a buddy dog, you know, <laughs> along with the cane. That sounds brilliant, what uh, Don's talking about. Just having a buddy would be nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, look, I, I put my hands up. I haven't heard of this uh, program before. It, it does sound great. But I'm wondering, Dawn, what is the aim of the buddy program. I mean, is there a point or even at what point is Ollie going to think I'm ready for a fully registered guide dog, you know, and move on from the buddy system? Yeah, you know what, it's it's the aims of the program essentially are to, you know, teach kids about how to take care of a dog, first and foremost, because when you are a guide dog, you know, sort of handler or, or owner, you will be completely responsible for making sure that the dog's daily care is taken care of, right? It's not like, you know, especially when you're an adult, I mean, always a kid, right? So he still has mom and dad to like do things for him or to <laughs> remind him to do things. But, you know, as an adult, you have responsibility. And if you have a guide dog, that's one very large responsibility, right? Um, because the, the dog, you know, has various needs, um, you know, certainly uh, health needs and what have you on a daily basis to be fed twice a day. So Ollie does that. Um, and, you know, weighing out the food and making sure that she gets what she needs. Um, you know, we, we do daily training with her, um, just little exercises, sometimes just fun little games, right, for him to, to keep practicing the skills that he learned with her and for her to be able to respond to commands. Um, so you do learn, obviously, how to command right? Uh, a guide dog. And so that's, you know, something that and we use the same exact commands as they do in the guiding program. Um, so he'll already have a great handle on that. Um, you know, how to um, sort of encourage the dog, right? Through through positive uh, feedback and treats and all that kind of stuff. So he's learning all the basic skills that he's going to need one day to have a guide dog. Um, and in addition to that, obviously, as I've said, mobility and what have you. So there's a variety of things. But really, I mean, the, the program, it's funny because the the you know, the intent is really to teach them some of the soft skills, right, related to having um, a guide dog one day and to prepare them, right? So it, the the concept is we've actually had like I think one kid in the program so far, and I think there's, I think they're at number 21 or something um, in terms of the buddy dog program that they've issued in the last couple of years. Um, and I think one of the kids has graduated from a buddy dog onto, uh, I think, a guide dog now. And so, um, you know, the the um, idea is if the kid has already been through this program, it makes them an easier candidate for the guide dog program because you're not having to sort of start from scratch with them. Right? Yeah, it's a bit more of a fast track in a way, isn't it? Right, exactly. And so and it also, I think, helps them in terms of identifying uh, if, for the CNIB, you know, like they're a, an amazing organization. And of course, there's, they're not the only ones who give, you know, guide dogs in this country or in any country, really, right? There's, there's every country has typically a national organization. And then they have sort of other, mm-hmm. um, you know, guide dog organizations that will also, um, you know, issue guide dogs. But in this particular case, the CNIB is, uh, probably one of the best and theirs is a relatively new program, right? Um, for them, they used to sort of hive it off to third parties to do this. But so in the last, I think it's a handful of years since they started their guiding program, um, they, they want to, to have, um, their program be the great equalizer. So regardless of income, right, income level and what have you, um, if you qualify for the program, all costs are paid, 
right? So mm. here you go. You get a dog that uh, at this moment in time, they estimate costs about $50,000 Canadian um, to train, right? From start to finish between breeding and then uh, obviously, you know, feeding your dog, uh, you know, the vet bills, um, paying trainers uh, and what have you. And the first year they're raised by volunteer puppy raisers all over this country. So, you know, they do what they can to try and minimize uh, those costs. Imagine if we actually really paid for the total cost of, <laughs> of, a, yeah, of yeah. a guide dog that way. Um, and so donors, we're, we're monthly donors now too, because once, once I went back to work after Ollie got well again, we really felt like we're so fortunate to sort of have a situation that I, I don't feel in good conscience personally where our income level is that I should be taking the free dog food and the free dog and the free, you know, vet services and everything else. So we, you know, opt to give back in a monthly donation um, to try and pay it forward and help another family get a buddy dog the way that we have. Um, so it's, uh, but it really is a great equalizer. And we've now met many families, especially through Lake Joe. It's been a great experience because we've met other um, adults, uh, you know, individual adults and other families um, who have experienced sight loss and have um, guide dogs from other um, guide dog programs uh, outside of CNIBs. And they certainly have told us mm -hmm. about some of the challenges around trying to pay for the costs of a dog for with another school. Um, you know, that, that their vet bills are not always completely paid. They might be subsidized, but not completely paid. And, uh, one of the things we do, um, a lot of is we do a lot of advocacy, right. Around, um, uh, ability and inclusion and accommodation. And I'm trying to do this young with Ollie because I'm hoping that, you know, by the time we get to a point where he's an adult and he needs to be gainfully employed or whatever, a lot of the stigmas that are out there, um, related to, you know, people uh, with vision loss, um, will hopefully be busted, right? Or at least that he will help to sort of smooth the path for himself and for others so that um, people aren't naturally going to discriminate against him in terms of hiring him just because he happens to be blind. Um, and so, and, you know, I, I'm lucky. I work for the federal public service here in, in Canada and we are, you know, the type of employer, uh, as are most, I think, public, ser public services, um, where we, you know, we, we, certainly higher for diversity and inclusion purposes and so on as well. So, you know, I have had the pleasure to work with multiple people in my career who have vision loss and see that they are just as capable, if not more so. I always tell Ollie, you know, you're not, you're not in any way sort of less able or less capable. If anything, you have to work harder to do what the average person can do with sight, right? So you're more able, right, than anybody else. Um, and so it's, it's about it's about capability, and, and uh, well, right? yeah, and, and I certainly think Sean would agree with me on this. That one thing we've talked about a lot is the, and especially in this show, when we talk around tech, it is about you know the ability to use the tech, and yes, it's the ability to show other people what we can do, but we have to be capable in the first place. Exactly, we've, we've got to be prepared. We have to, you know, I know in my own experience, and I've talked about it a lot on the show. You know, having to move to a screen reader. In 2017, I had to do it because if I didn't, I wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't right. be able to do what I do, and that's the and, and and that's on me to do that. But equally, it is therefore you know as a, I guess as a result of that, it, it then turns out to be something that shows people what you can then do. So it's, it, it works both ways, doesn't it? I agree totally, 100. percent Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, I, I it's funny because just before Ollie went blind, I you know I'm, I'm a, a manager and I had the opportunity to manage. Um, a an incredibly talented and, and capable young woman um, who who had experienced vision loss in her life. And it's funny because she she grew up in a country outside of Canada, um, where you know from from the time she was born, you know 
she wasn't catered to with respect to her vision loss in any way, shape or form, right? It wasn't like she, you know, got assessed and they had special programs for her or anything like that. She just literally, you know, she had enough vision that she was able to just kind of adapt, right? So, you know, uh, making things as big as she could on screens, you know, like, um, you yeah. know, getting close to the screen if she had to, whatever she had to do, you know, she, she would sort of learn this and she never had learned to walk with a white cane or anything. Um, and I, I was really fascinated by this situation because when I, you know, uh, w- when I started working with her, I said, well, what do you need? Right. What do you need to be able to do your job? And she said, well, I've got everything I need. And I said, okay, do you for real? <laughs> like, you know, like, what do you need? And she said, well, I mean, you know, it would be great if I could get jobs or I could get this or that. And I said, well, it's not great. Like, is that like a need for your job? Like, do you need to have that? And if you need it, then we need to get it. Right. And, and in, in the government of Canada, we have a duty to accommodate, right? That's what we, we look at every single person that we hire. We have a duty to accommodate them, right? That's the law. And not only is it the law, it's just the way that we should be doing things right in every exactly. realm. So, yeah. and it's not just about vision loss or, you know, any physical disability. It's, you know, like now as a, as a you know, survivor of everything that Ollie's been through and, you know, having had PTSD and anxiety myself, you know, like that's an invisible disability, right? Um, and so that needs to be accommodated too. So while I certainly don't in any way compare my disability to Ollie's, he has obviously so many more challenges that he's overcome than I have or ever will. Um, but, you know, it is, you know, one of these things where I think the more we become, uh, sort of aware of the various challenges that people, you know, with various disabilities face, um, and, and do our best to try and, you know, accommodate them. Um, the more everybody understands it and everybody profits from it. Right. Yeah, we, we, so. we don't, we don't want it to become the oppression Olympics. That's the thing no. that I cannot abide. I, you know, that's something which I, I fear there's often a little bit of, of, you know, let's see, well, my disability is worse than your disability and I can see less than you. And well, I've got no eyes, so I'm truly blind. And it just gets a bit, you know, come on. We all have challenges. This is is it. It's it's like anything, everything, it has a spectrum, right? Exactly. And and so that's, and it's interesting, even in blindness, I mean, what I've learned about that, I, I, we, we refer to Ollie as being blind because he's comfortable with that terminology Mm. and whatever. But, uh, you know, we, we talk about vision loss a lot because it is, it is a spectrum. It's true, right? Everybody has a different level of vision or lack thereof. In Ollie's case, he has a left retina that is detached. So he has no vision in that eye. And in his right eye, you know, his optic nerve has been so severely damaged that he has just a tiny bit of light vision on really good days, right? Um, and he had cataracts in both eyes, so he had to have his lens removed uh, in both cases. And they didn't bother putting in an intraocular lens because he said, look, even if we put that in, he doesn't have enough, you know, ability with his optic nerves to, you know, sort of fix uh, his vision with with the lens. So it really won't make a difference. Um, so so he's, how's, he know, doing, how's he doing now? It sounds like he's excelling. Oh, he's, he's fantastic. I mean, honestly, th- this kid is, uh, you know, obviously I'm biased on his mom and all, but I mean, <laughs> he, uh, he, he really is incredible. It's, it's, uh, unbelievable to me, you know, how the kid just does everything. You know, he was talking about skateboarding. We talked about that earlier. And mm. as soon as he was well again, he said to me, okay, mom, can, can we do the skateboarding mm. thing? And I, you know, I, I was at a loss. I was like, okay, I don't really know how to do this, but I'll figure it out. And, and as it happened, I, I believe everything's connected in the universe. And whether you believe in, you know, a deity or whether you just believe that, you know, the stars align or whatever it is that you believe, uh, I think that we're all connected in various ways and everything is, is a result of something else, right? It's a big chain of events that has to happen. And so, I happened to, at this time, right, uh, see a, a social media post from the CNIB, right? And they were talking about um, these kids, these teenagers um, in Calgary, Alberta, and in Canada, who had started this project called the Alt Route, 
And it was a bunch of teens who had experienced vision loss, again, various you know degrees of it. And they just wanted to get on skateboards, right? And learn how to skateboard. And they had found an adult who had, again, previously been sighted and, and sort of lost some vision who had been a big skater and wanted to do this too. And so he started working with them. They found a local, you know, skate park that would allow them to do it. And they started experimenting and they, you know, watched the likes of Justin Bishop and Dan Mancina and other, you know, amazing uh, pro skateboard, uh, blind pro skateboarders. Um, and uh, they, they just started putting this project in place and they got some funding for it and did amazing things. And I thought, wow, that's cool, right? Like we can totally do something like this. And so I reached out to our skate park that Ollie had gone to before he, he got, he went blind and I said to them, you know, um, this is our situation. And actually, I sort of said to them, we bought this like pass, right, to come and drop in every Sunday. And, you know, and we can't use it clearly because it's just not safe for him to kind of come where all the other, you know, sort of skateboarders are, are doing this when he's got vision loss. And we don't even know how to sort of start this anyway. So I said to them, you know, I'd be delighted to d- donate my pass, right, to another kid, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood who maybe couldn't afford to do this or whatever. And in fact, actually, I'll buy them a skateboard and whatever else they need, right, because I just want people to be able to do what they what they can do. And people have been so generous to us throughout all these um, illness that if we can, again, pay that forward is what we want to do. And, and the owner, amazing guy, his name is Anthony. And Anthony basically sent me a message. He said, listen, I'm so sorry to hear about what happened to Ollie, but I'm so glad that he's well and he wants to get back on his board. And so why don't you just bring him to the park? And I've got this, you know, amazing guy who works with me. He's an instructor and he's a, an educational assistant in the, in the school board. He's got experience working with special needs and he's been wanting to start up a program program for special needs kids. So, you know, like, why don't you bring him in and let's see what we can do. And so that was awesome. So we brought him in and Jordan, uh, the, his instructor, and I connected with the folks at the Alt Route. And we got some of their tips and tricks and we just got started. And so Ollie's been skateboarding, you know, uh, every Tuesday after school for the last um, year and a half. And it's incredible what he can do. Uh, and then along with that, you know, karate, he does karate uh, through Kids Kicking Cancer. And he does that, you know, without issue. And he recently started uh, Canadian Blind Hockey. Uh, so we have a Canadian Blind Hockey Association, and uh, so they have a, a uh, you know program for kids uh, with vision loss, and mm-hmm. so we started that this year. So like he really, he really is just unstoppable. The kid just wants to do everything, um, and and he he just he tries it without fear, and you know, and with such um, you know sort of a joie de vivre, if I can say that, right? He really just has such an incredible desire to live and be joyful. Um, and so I think that, you know, that, uh, translates really nicely into all of this. I mean, if, if you've survived what he survived, right. And you have a positive attitude and you just believe that you got to go out and live your best life. I mean, that's what he's doing. Amazing. I, I think if I'm honest, it's also in a massive 99.9%, you know, because of you, um, let's be honest. I mean, you're, you're clearly an incredible parent and, you know, someone who has, you know, gone through the dark moments, but decided, do you know what? We really have to, I think what you said earlier really stood out to me. You know, you wanted your son to live and that's the first thing you were interested in. My son is here. Everything else we'll deal with. And I think that's going to, that's going to stick with me for a while. I think that's just an incredible thing. You're an incredible woman, Don. I think we need more Don Pickerings in the world, quite oh, frankly. Oh, that's so kind of I'm you. I'm serious. <laughs> I mean that. I mean, I think if the world was full of Don Pickerings, we'd be we'd be in a much better place. And of course, what? the rest of the family, they, like yeah. you mentioned the anxiety oh, yeah. and the PTSD, you know, it, it's such a huge thing to go through where everything that Ollie's gone through and the, the whole family. Don, you talk about gratitude. Well, I thank you, frankly, for coming on here and sharing the story. And I'll say this, I very rarely uh, use this word, uh, especially to a sighted person, I'm inspired. 
<laughs> That's so very kind of you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. An incredible story. I really appreciate your time. Oh, it's been such a great experience for me, and I totally appreciate what you guys do, and I look forward to, to listening to it and, of course, all your programs. Thanks so much for helping to enlighten the world. Thank you, Dawn. Take care. Bye-bye. Really interesting show today, Sean. Very different to our usual, I know. But uh, you know what? I thought we'd just tackle a different story today. And I thought that was a really interesting one. It, all of that coming out of a tweet is just incredible. <laughs> it moved along from the original tweet as well and just uh, covered so much stuff there. Thank you, Dawn. Yeah, and we learned a lot about the CNIB and uh, what it does. Fantastic organisation. Uh, listen, that's it for today. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we're back on Monday with lots more. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Sean. Bye-bye. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.